Well, hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, welcome. My name is John. I'm the executive director around here. I get to speak every once in a while, so it's exciting for me to be up here. So we are in week seven of this series we've been calling The Big Story. And just to kind of fill you in on what this is all about, if it's your first day here, this has been our attempt to give you guys what I'll call sort of a working knowledge, a working understanding of the Bible as a whole, right? Everything that kind of takes place from cover to cover, what's going on here? Because a few months ago, Adam and I were sitting around and we said, well, you know, we started this church specifically for folks who've had either a bad experience with church or no experience with church. And so we might be saying names, we might be talking about stories that they have no idea what we're talking about. The fact of the matter is, even if you've been in church your entire life, you just forget a lot of these stories. So our goal was to kind of hit the main people, the main stories, so that you guys have a note version of this whole book. And the question we're trying to answer, really, is how does this all tie together? How does this whole Bible tie together? Is it a bunch of random stories, a bunch of random people, or is there a method to this whole thing? And more importantly, how does this whole Bible point to Jesus? So for the last seven weeks, like I was saying, we have been in the Old Testament. Today, I'm happy to announce, is the last day in the Old Testament. Now, let me say a couple of things about the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament gets a bad rap. Even as you kind of laugh, you know what I'm talking about. Um, when something is named old, you kind of think, well, it's obsolete. Specifically, when there's like a New Testament, you're going, well, why are we reading the old one? Fair. Second of all, I understand that there are parts in the Old Testament that are confusing. I get that, right? There are parts in the Old Testament that are boring. That's true. And there are parts in the Old Testament when read through the eyes of a 21st century modern American seem crazy. I get it. That's true. But our hope is that after these seven weeks of being in the Old Testament, you guys recognize that it actually is worthwhile to read it, that there are some great people, some great stories, and most importantly, some great truths that can be learned from the Old Testament. So as we bring it to a close today, I want to talk about one more guy. His name is Daniel. Now, Daniel is not a king. He wasn't a warrior. Daniel was just a guy. Um, he was a guy who throughout his life, he remained faithful to God. He remained faithful to what he believed in through persecution. Time and time again, Daniel faced hardship, but he remained faithful to God, and God blessed him because of it. Now, Daniel is in what I kind of call the Sunday School Hall of Fame. Um, if you grew up going to church, you probably went to Sunday school. If you have kids, they're downstairs right now in our kids' programming. We wouldn't dare call it Sunday school because that's not cool. That's basically what it is. And at least once a year growing up, or if you're in there, you learned about Daniel. Specifically, you learned about Daniel and the lion's den, which, by the way, let me show you my prop because Adam was like, make sure you go to the props. People love the props. Here's my prop. Let me just say a couple of things about this thing. Um, first of all, it smells. Um, people told me that this is what's called like a scratch and sniff toy. So this thing smells like manure. Um, I'm not exaggerating. It stinks. But, you know, when you look at this toy and you kind of put it up to all the other props from the other weeks, like, you know, you kind of see how I get razzed around this church. I'm the guy that makes the bad coffee and the bad announcements. And they're like, well, stick him with the worst prop there is. You know, you've got Adam with like the nice globe. And of course, his favorite one, the little tiara. Of course, he loved this one. Um, but the fact of the matter is that this, look, listen, 
Daniel's in the lion's den is a very famous story, perhaps one of the famous stories in the entire scripture. But it's not just a children's story, right? And even though this is a very childish um, prop, it's not a children's story. It's history. It's history. So to understand this prop and to understand the story for today of Daniel and the lion's den, we have to go back to the beginning of Daniel. Specifically, we've got to go to 605 B.C., and we have to understand that Jerusalem, which is where he lived, was just conquered. Let me stop for a second about this date, 605 B.C. I think it's interesting because we use these terms A.D. and B.C. to talk about, obviously, years. But when we're talking about the Bible, I think we're quick to forget that B.C. means before Christ was born. And so as we bring this Old Testament to a close and we look at where Daniel is, we are now 605 years before the birth of Christ, which I think is just a fascinating little tidbit. So King Nebuchadnezzar takes over. He conquers Jerusalem. He takes over and he does a couple of things. Number one, he steals from the temple. We talked about Solomon a couple of weeks ago. And Solomon built the very first temple, the place where every Jew had to go to meet God. It wasn't like today where there were churches all over the place. There was one temple. And King Nebuchadnezzar went in and he raided it. And he stole things from the temple. He stole artifacts that actually belonged to God himself. And he didn't stop there. He actually took the royal family captive. And as he looked at the royal family, he kind of said to himself, well, there's got to be some guys in this group that I can use, some guys that I can bring into my court, some guys that I can put to work for me. So he went to his top officials, and he says, I need you to go back and look at that, those group of captives. And I got some requirements. Number one, they need to be strong. They also need to be healthy, good-looking, and wise. Standard, right? So they go back, and they look at the captured group, and they find four guys that fit this bill. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. Obviously, Daniel made out better in the name department than the other three guys. But these were the four guys who got pulled into King Nebuchadnezzar's court. These are the four guys that were going to start working for him. Now, what's interesting about these four guys is that these guys are Hebrew. These guys are Jewish. So they were captured from their own people. They were brought into a foreign land. They were all by themselves. What's interesting is that these guys are, in some form or fashion, descendants of Abraham, the guy we spoke about in week one. And as we learned about this, Abraham's descendants would be blessed and people would be blessed through them. So these are Abraham's descendants. And I want to throw up two words on the screen right now. You can come up. Uh, I'm not going to talk about them. But these two words, food and furnace, I just wanted to put in the back of your mind because these represent two major life events in the lives of these four guys. But I want to talk about the lion's den first. And so we have to understand that these two events take place over about maybe 20 or 40 years after Daniel and his buddies were captured. And you have to understand that as we fast forward the clock now to get to today's story, you need to realize that Daniel has now survived multiple kings. He has survived multiple kings because Jerusalem had been conquered and reconquered. But Daniel survives, and he's now in his 80s. And what's interesting is that if you've heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, I think we often think about this guy who's like a robust 20-year-old. The reality is he's probably about 85 years old. 
So it brings us to our story today. And if you've got your Bible on your chair, that is yours to take home if you want. We bought those so that you guys can take them. About half of them are gone. So people are taking them. Maybe we just lost them. I don't know. But we're excited about that. So you can open up to Daniel 6, verse 1. Here's where we're going to start. Darius the Mede. Now, Darius is the now king. He is in charge. Mede is the empire that he belongs to. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all of the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So here's what we've learned so far about Daniel. Daniel was faithful, and God gave him great opportunities. Throughout his entire life, Daniel remained faithful to God. Even though he was persecuted left and right, Daniel always chose that which was right, and God blessed him because of it. Daniel was always placed in a position of importance so that he could impact both the leaders of the country and those around him. Daniel was reaching success. I want to talk to you about success real quick. Um, When I was young, my dad shared this truth to me about sort of doing well in life, and I want to share it with you guys, and it's this. Personal success rarely makes others joyful. That's a sad reality of the world we live in, but at the end of the day, whether we want to admit to it or not, everyone has what I would call a seed of jealousy inside of them or a seed of envy inside of them. And maybe it's greed. Who knows? And I don't mean to be negative, but he told me, son, you have to realize that in life, when you do well, very few people are going to be happy for you. So when you get that promotion at work, or maybe you get that new job or the new house, right, or the new car or the new handbag or the new watch or the new bicycle or the new gaming system, whatever the case may be, you just need to realize that, unfortunately, very few people are going to be happy for you. So with this knowledge, you want to do a couple of things. Number one, when you do succeed in this life, and I pray you all do, you do not need to look around you. You do not need to look at other people to validate your success. And knowing what we know about this truth, when you do well, be cognizant of this fact. Be humble about what you've done in your life, what you have, because our goal is not to make others feel bad. So Daniel, however, faced this truth in his life because he succeeded. And we read in the scripture, and it says, Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Right? They knew the only way they might get him was it having to do with his God. See, Daniel was innocent. He was innocent. He was never going to do anything illegal. He was a good guy. He wasn't going to steal. He wasn't going to have an affair with King Nebuchadnezzar's wife or Darius the Mede's wife. He wasn't going to do that. But they did know something about Daniel that they could use against him. Because there was one thing. They knew about his past. You see, Daniel's reputation preceded him. Daniel was famous at some degree. See, they knew about the food. 
When Daniel and his four buddies, three buddies, pardon me, were captured early on, maybe 60 years earlier, they were brought into, let's call it, boot camp for King Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody who was going to be put into King Nebuchadnezzar's court was brought into this boot camp. And they were given the king's rations to eat, meaning they were given food directly from the king's table. Gourmet, fantastic food. It says it was given the king's wine, right? So if you're a wine person, think like first growth burgundy, like the best stuff. They were given this. But there was a problem. And the problem was this, that food. And that wine, as good as it was, had been previously sacrificed to other gods. And if you're a Jewish person, you can't eat food that had been sacrificed to other gods. And so Daniel goes to his guard at the time, and he goes, hey, listen, I don't, I'm not trying to cause trouble, right? I don't want to make a problem for you. We're Jewish, right? And I know we're the only Jews here. I know that no one's watching us. I know it really probably wouldn't be a problem if we ate it, but we can't do this. So the guard says, well, what do you want to do? Well, just bring us vegetables, right? Just bring us some vegetables, bring us some water, and we'll be fine. And the guard says, well, if, if that's all you're going to eat, you guys are not going to make it, and King Nebuchadnezzar is going to have my head. And Daniel says, we are honoring our God, and what he has asked us to do, he will bless us. Well, sure enough, the weeks pass. Daniel and his buddies look fantastic, robust. They look great. Meanwhile, everybody else who ate the king's foods, they looked haggard. It was not good. And God was so pleased with them that it says that he blessed them, gave them gifts. And in fact, Daniel was blessed with prophecy because of what he had done that day. The high officials also knew about the story about the furnace. At one point in the past, Daniel's buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, found themselves in a pickle. King Nebuchadnezzar made this law, and he said, I want everybody to bow down before this idol that was made of him. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, we're Jewish. And the only person we will bow down in front of is God. And you see, they were all by themselves. They were in a foreign country. They could have done it. Nobody was watching, but they said, no, we have to stand up for what is right. And so King Nebuchadnezzar took them, and he threw them into a fiery furnace. The scripture says he actually turned up the temperature on the furnace to kill them even more. And as they were in that furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar peers in through what I appear to be some kind of glass or grate to make sure these boys are all burned up. And what he sees is something amazing. Not only are these three guys alive, but somehow, in some way, there is now a fourth person in that fire with them. Theologians believe that fourth person was actually God. They actually believe that is the pre-incarnate version of Jesus, that Jesus actually came to be there with them that day to bring them through this fiery trial. They did not die. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. God brought them through this. The high officials knew this, and they knew that they could use this against Daniel. So they went to the king, and they said, King, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. And what takes place over the next three days is a whirlwind of activity in the life of Daniel. And it makes her one of the most famous stories in all of the scripture. Day one. But when Daniel 
learned that the law had been signed. He went home, and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and night, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. He did not care what the law was. He knew he was called to only pray to one person, God, God. And the moment that he lifted his hands up in prayer, the moment he said, dear God, just like so many of us do each day, in that moment he prayed, he was condemned to death. He was dead at that moment. That's conviction. That's conviction. That is conviction. Conviction, as we define here at this church, is this. Something we believe to be true and will stand by it regardless of the consequences. Daniel knew it was at stake. He knew it was at stake. And he knew, listen, he was upstairs, number one. He could have kept those windows closed. He could have not prayed at all because, like I said, there were no other Jews around him. Who would have known? But he said, this is not the right thing to do. I will not do it. And because those windows were open, he did get caught. The high officials saw him, and they ran back to the king on the next day, day two. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. So here's what you need to know. Daniel, he really had done nothing wrong in the king's eyes. The king tried to free Daniel, right? The king tried to free him. He looked at him and he goes, oh, this guy is innocent. He hasn't done anything really that is deserving of death, but the people wanted him dead. And the high officials went to him and said, hey, king, don't forget, you signed a law that said anybody who prays to anybody but you is a dead man. And you signed it in a way that not even you could revoke it. Darius realized that he had been manipulated. He realized that he had been caught in this. So at last, Scripture says, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, who you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of the nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Think about what's happened in these last few days. You've got this guy, Daniel, who lived an upright and righteous life his whole life. He had done nothing wrong. He was innocent, but the people around him, the leaders wanted him dead. And so they brought trumped-up charges against him. And they brought it to the king, and the king said, I hear what you're saying, but he is, a f he is fine. He has done nothing wrong. I see no reason for this man to be killed. But they wanted him dead. And so they threw Daniel into the pit of lions. They rolled the stone across this cave. They sealed this stone so that no one could get in and no one could get out. And Daniel spent that night with the lions. The third day. We read, very early the next morning, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you served so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions. I just find this amazing. He's going out there almost expecting Daniel to be alive, which is so fascinating. And it continues. Daniel answered, long live the king. 
My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. Some translations say not a bone was broken, for he had trusted in God. And that's the story. So the question is, what do you do with this story? What do you do with one of the most famous stories in the scripture? What's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week we put this word practical on the screen. Because we want to make sure that you guys can come on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, what convictions are you not willing to compromise? What convictions in your life are you not willing to compromise? Now, we look at Daniel. He's got these very high expectations and convictions. I'll call them at the macro level. But at a micro level, for us, right here in the now, what could we talk about? Number one, how about being faithful to your spouse? Regardless of the temptation, regardless of what's going on in your life, would you say this is something I will never do, ever? How about financial integrity, right? That quick buck that might be a little shady, is that something you're going to say, listen, I could use the cash, but I'm not going to do that. It is just not who I am and who I've been called to be. Students in the room, how about cheating on a test? right? This is so enticing because sometimes, you know what, you just need that little bit of a better grade to help your GPA. But are you willing to just say, you know what, this is not who I am. This is not who I've been called to be. I would challenge you to write them down. I would challenge you to write them down. I just think that's important. And I think the fact of the matter is this, if you won't write them down, I think you're scared to write them down. I think because of those convictions, I think you see you might be a little wobbly. So I would ask it in this way. Do you have the courage to stand by your convictions even when facing threatening consequences? Because sometimes, sometimes we've been called to stand up for things and we might get some heat because of it, right? You might be at work and your boss might ask you to do something that you know you should not be doing. And if you choose to do the right thing, well, you might lose your job. Sometimes, if you're a student, you might do the right thing, but it may alienate you from some of your friends. I would love to do this, but what are my friends going to say? What are my friends going to say? Let me ask it this way. Are there any consequences God can't handle? I mean, truly, are there any consequences in your life that God can't handle? If he's challenged you to make the right decision and you do so, do you think he's just going to leave you out there? Sorry, you're on your own, right? File it under no good deed goes unpunished. That's not going to happen. If you do the right thing, God will be there for you. I want to tell you one last story. Um, it's about a guy named Gyges. And um, I first heard about this story probably over 20 years ago. And it was told to me, just in passing, I don't think the guy who told me about it thought much about it, but it had a tremendous, tremendous impact in my life. So much so that it changed my worldview in some respects. And it was so powerful, the virtues that this story tells, we've actually made it a part of downtown Harbor Church. So Gyges is a story that was actually told by Plato, uh, a great philosopher. And this story was told in about the year 1500 BC. So for context, this is a thousand years 
before Daniel. This is almost contemporaneous with Abraham, week one. And Plato says this, Gyges was a shepherd boy, and one day he was out tending his sheep, and Plato paints this picture that a great storm, one that the world had never seen, fell upon Gyges. And it was so violent that it actually began to make the earth shake to such a degree that the earth before Gyges opened up. A crevasse opened up, and Gyges went to the edge, to the precipice, and he looked down to this dark hole, and he could have swore that he saw things in the earth. And so he climbed down, and sure enough, it says that he saw wonders unlike things that he had never seen. But he saw something else down there. He saw a ring. And the ring really grabbed his attention. And so he took the ring, and he put it in his finger, and he crawled back out, and he went home for the day. And later that night, he found himself at a government meeting. A bunch of the men from town were sitting around talking about current affairs. And as Gaiji sat there, he played with his ring, just as we all kind of do. And as he turned it, he realized that the men in the room began to talk about him as though he wasn't there. He thought this was odd. And so he turned it again, and sure enough, the men began to speak to him again. What he realized that this ring had magical properties. This ring, when turned, allowed him to become invisible. And so the rest of the story is a dialogue about whether Gyges would act the same when he was invisible as he was when he was visible. You see, it's a story about integrity. And I'll pose the question to you as Plato posed to his original audience. Will you act the same in private as you do in public? Because I believe this is a massive problem for the people of today. Because when we're alone and no one's around us, I think we're quick to lay down our convictions. Those things that we believe, no one's around, not a problem. Teacher's not here, what'd you get for number seven? A boss ain't here, let's get out of here. IRS isn't really looking, mm, a little more in my pocket. But the reality is this, we have convictions. We have beliefs for a particular reason, because when you do find yourself alone, they act as a moral compass. They keep you on the straight and narrow. But when we're alone, as I said, sometimes we get a little lax. But here's what you need to know. When you think you're alone, when you think that nobody's watching you, someone's always watching. Someone is always watching you. And this isn't a cautionary tale so that you guys don't get caught doing illegal things. This isn't a cautionary tale so you don't get caught cheating or messing up with your finances, right? This is not about that. The reason this is so important is because when you choose to do the right thing when you're alone, when you choose to do the right thing when you're all by yourself, when you think no one's watching, when you choose to do the right thing, particularly when you're a follower of Jesus, others will be blessed and God will be honored. You see, Daniel and his buddies, they were ostensibly alone. But time and time again, they chose to do the right thing. When Daniel was in that lion's den, he was all alone. But he chose to do the right thing. And here's what the scripture says in Daniel 6. When he was lifted out of that cave, King Darius did something. He sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the whole world. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. 
His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. We say it like this. Standing in conviction for what you believe in will end up being a blessing in your life. And I would go further to say it'll be a blessing in others' lives as well. But the reality is this. When you get to a place in your life where you're standing in conviction, when you're standing up for what you believe in, that means that things around you are getting tough. That means that you're probably facing some sort of temptation or persecution, but standing up for what you believe in is not easy. And the reality is this. When it comes time to stand up for what's right, let me tell you what's not going to get you through that strength of will. Your strength of will is not going to get you through that. Trust me. You are much weaker than you think. Much weaker than you think. The only thing that's going to get you through it is what got Daniel through it, and it's faith in God. It's faith in God. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to talk about Daniel. What an amazing story. It is so clearly obvious why we share this story year in, year out, for centuries, God. Oh, Lord, I just pray that each one of us can stand strong. When times get tough, Lord, I pray that you can help us stand up for what is right, Lord. And I pray that you would put on all of our hearts that which you have called us in conviction. What is that thing, Lord, that is in our life that we have been called to stand up for? And I pray that you would give each and every one of us the strength to do what's right because we know, Lord, people are watching and their lives can be impacted because of this. We ask all this in Jesus' name.